0: Thank you so much. Um, Just for this beautiful day that we get to worship you as a family, uh, that we are participating um, in what the Holy Spirit has for us um, as friends, as a community, as neighbors. Uh, And we want to open ourselves to hear from you through your servant, Gordy. In your name, amen. amen. Thanks, bro. Appreciate that. So t- today, um, uh, just for those of you that are, are visiting us, we've just produced a document called our Fusion Statement on our national website, which is a, uh, we call it Fusion because it's a statement of our vision and our mission, which, as you probably know, statement of vision and mission is a, is a statement of a, of a desired future, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a place we want to go, and vision has to do with who we are, And mission has to do with what we do. And what we do flows out of who we are. But all of that is based on our faith. It's based on a faith that was passed down to us, not through the Apostles' Creed, as wonderful as that is, but our faith was passed down to us through a story. And so we have um, integrated our, our vision, our mission And our our statement of faith into the language of story. So we're teaching through that this fall because we want to find out as a local church, what are the implications for us uh, as a congregation within the larger community of the Vineyard in Canada? And what is God calling us to? And so last week, you'll remember, we talked about the story of the Vineyard within the larger story of the body of Christ through history. And, and how the first home group had Bob Dylan and Larry Norman, and uh, it was a bit of a crazy start for the, vine- for the Vineyard, uh, the, 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 the Christian rock group Love Song, and, and then John Wimber's Crazy Story, and we talked about a lot of those things. Tonight, or today, I want to kind of continue that story from more of a little theological, philosophical perspective, because in the 70s, there were some things that were just hitting the shore... As far as the church world, and a lot of it, John Wimber was a real uh, important part of that. You will now see in any church you go to, particularly in the Western world, uh, the impact of the theology that Wimber discovered. What he, I believe, really contributed beyond just a, 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 a willingness to, to go for it as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned in church practice was an understanding of the gospel, just a revitalized understanding of the gospel. And to use an illustration, imagine if you went to an art show and somebody said, oh, there's some really wonderful art, and all you saw when you got there was these beautiful frames. And people are just, you know, pontificating on this beautiful frame and that beautiful frame. Well, in many ways, that reminds me of what, uh, that kind of speaks to me of, of, of what we've been like with the gospel. We've our idea of the gospel has been, you know, fire insurance, getting people, you know, uh, out of hell and into heaven, and um, or forgiveness of sins. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's really the frame. That's not the gospel. And yet, our, I grew up, and many of us grew up, especially in evangelical Protestantism, where where the gospel was, as one man said, we preach Paul and not Jesus. And so I think Wimber really brought back an understanding uh, and delivered us from this sense of barcode Christianity, as Dallas Willard liked to call it. You know, barcode Christianity, you say the prayer, you get the stamp, and then the scanner says, you're in, right? And 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 it's kind of that idea, but there's so much more to, to the gospel than that. And uh, I think Wimber was really part of that in in, in helping reintroduce that into the church, especially the evangelical church world. And uh, he began to teach through the book of Luke, and we told this story last week, how that he began to teach through the book of Luke, and he realized you can't teach Luke without teaching on healing. If you take healing out of the book of Luke, you might as well just... You know, preach on frames, on chapter headings, that's about all you're going to get if you preach, if you if you take healing and miracles out of the book of, of Luke. So he began to pray for the sick, and you'll remember the story is that for the first year he would pray for the sick, and he would get sick, uh, because people who were sick would make him sick, and then they had that incredible breakthrough after a year and, and, and began to see some things, some healing breakthroughs in that area but uh, this whole desire and willingness to begin to practice what Jesus practiced I don't know why we so miss this but when we talk about doing Jesus works we often think about things we can do we think about feeding the poor or good works or community service and there's nothing wrong with those things I'm totally for that but we especially in the West we somehow have a blind spot to the fact he said, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Do that. That's what he told his disciples to do. And uh, kind of parallel with this uh, was something that Wimber came in, in, uh, in his thinking and praying about this was the central theme. And this is where I bring you another vineyard quiz, what was the central theme and most frequent topic in the life, teachings, and ministry of Jesus? Hmm? The poor. Healing. The kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom. Yeah, it was the kingdom of God. Jesus lived and breathed The kingdom of God. You remember how a couple weeks ago I talked about how that encounter Jesus, live the story, is kind of like the sermonic sentence of the vineyard, right? That's what we decided sums us up what we are about. If we could just do it in one sentence. Well, actually, it is two, isn't it? Can can we put a comma there, maybe? And then it would be one sentence. Encounter Jesus, comma, live the story. Maybe that'll help. My grammar teacher wife can help me fix that. But... um, Uh, Mark writes this, that Mark writes a summary of what Jesus was all about. In in the book of Mark, chapter one, in our text, he says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And then in verses 14 and 15, he writes a summary of Jesus' life and ministry, what Jesus was all about. And by the way, this, this sentence here is absolutely full of irony and paradox. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And what was it? Hey, wait a minute. He hadn't died on the cross, risen again, and all that. He's already preaching the gospel, right? He was proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, or in one translation, the time is fulfilled. I think there's actually more of that meaning in there. There's a fulfillment of time. The time is fulfilled. He said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. Now, there's irony and paradox, especially if you're a first century Jew, in this, in this statement, because it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus announces, The reign of God is here. You get that? There's that paradox and tension. Matthew describes this Matthew's version of this Matthew says Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were and here's the list are you ready those who were ill of very with various diseases Is that anybody here today. Those suffering severe pain. The demon possessed. You don't need to raise your hand for that. Those having seizures. I find those raise their hands automatically. You don't need to ask them to raise their hand. Those having seizures. It's interesting, by the way, that they, Matthew distinguishes between those having seizures and those who are demon possessed, which tells us that mental illness and, and uh Epilepsy is not necessarily demonic. There's, there's physical and it, we, we can't assume. We have to really be discerning on this. Fifth, paralyzed. So what did they do when they brought these people to Jesus? One summary sentence. And he healed them. There was a direct connection between this good news of the kingdom and this healing, this deliverance, This relief from pain that Jesus operated in. And so we say it's the good news of the kingdom. It's the arrival of the reign of God that is the good news. Gordon Fee said this, to miss this is to miss Jesus altogether. If we don't get that Jesus was about the kingdom of God, we don't get Jesus. Wimber saw a direct correlation between the arrival of the kingdom of God and Jesus being this one-man wrecking crew... Against the kingdom of darkness. He was just going around wreaking havoc in the kingdom of darkness. And the New Testament is not shy about um, stating that there was a real war going on behind the scenes. It, there, you know, the devil and Satan appears kind of in the Old Testament a little bit, doesn't he? At Job, when when he comes to God about Job, you read a little bit there. And there's there's a few other kind of references to Satan. I think one time where it says Satan uh, prompted David, tempted David to lie. So there is a little bit, of, but all of a sudden there's so much in the New Testament. Why do you think there was so much more in the New Testament? There's a battle going on, yes? Jesus was God incarnate? Yeah, you guys, it's it, you turn the flashlight on all of a sudden you see all the moths, right? You see all the I remember one time when we were in Africa. I'm not kidding. This is a true story. Kirsten, you'll love this one. But we were in Zimbabwe, and I went into this big kitchen in the morning. And I'll tell you what, I poured some cereal in the bowl, and all of a sudden I noticed my cereal was moving, right? And, I mean, I'm telling you, the cockroach is just, you know, like that. And why? Because I turned the light on. Now, if the light had been on, I didn't see that in the daytime before. But I came into that darkness and turned the light on. And it was like that in the New Testament. The light of God showed up. And all of a sudden, Jesus was sitting there preaching in a synagogue, and there was a nice tithe-paying parishioner who'd come Sunday after Sunday. He had a demon in him, and that demon had come with him to church for Sunday after, or Saturday, I guess it would have been, Saturday after Saturday in the synagogue. But one day, Jesus comes to church, and that nice, quiet, little, sedate service changed. And all of a sudden, the guy cries out, Jesus, Son of God, are you here to torment us? Leave us alone. Right? Right? All of a sudden, everybody woke up. It wasn't sleepy anymore. And it's interesting. There was, there's another time where Jesus confronted these demons. And the demons said, are you here to torment us before the time? They knew there was a time when their, their time was up. They knew it. And so they were worried that God had moved the date. And there's something to that. Because God is moving the date. That's a little bit of what this kingdom stuff is about. It's a, it's, a, it's a moving of the future into the present, all right? So John wrote, and John, he's that nice, sedate little apostle of love. He said, for this cause, the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the devil's works. And often, you know, we, teach, we preach Jesus of, of love and forgiveness, and he is. He's about forgiving your enemies, loving your enemies but, boy, there's a, lot about, there's a lot about violence in the New Testament, a lot about conflict, a lot about uh, destruction. And, and John doesn't pull any punches when he says Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. So the critical phrase in this, in this summation of Jesus' life is the time is fulfilled. And it was related to Jewish expectations of the reign of God. Those words, when Jesus said, The time is filled, the kingdom is here, it was just loaded with dynamite. It was just, uh, it had incredible implications and it produced uh, an expectation that rose to a fever pitch uh, for for Israel. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background to, to that, to when Jesus made that announcement and why, what kind of impact would it have had on a first century Jewish person? First of all, we should look quickly at the Old Testament. The Greek word basileia, translated uh, in, the, in the Greek uh, basileia in the New Testament, uh, and of course, uh, is not the, the phrase kingdom of God is not really used in the Old Testament. Um, but the concept is there all through the, the Old Testament. Uh, The word basilea, by the way, means the act of rule. Often when we hear kingdom, we think of a geographical territory, like the United Kingdom. But actually, the the word basilea means the exercise of God's authority, the exercise of his rule. In fact, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Basically, when we say your will be done, is we're describing what his kingdom is. His kingdom is where God's will is done. So when, where there is sickness or where there is pain or where there is injustice or where people are cut off from God and they're, 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 they're filling that emptiness with addictions, God does not reign there. And we're inviting his kingdom to come. We're inviting his reign, his rule, his will to be done as it is in heaven. And heaven for a Jewish person simply meant where God is, where God lives. That's what heaven is. Heaven is where God is and heaven is where his will is done and our prayer is that what happens in heaven will also happen on earth. And of course the consummation of history will be that heaven will marry earth heaven will and earth will be joined. And so the first Uh, Idea of the Old Testament reign of God was that God reigns. And this this appears early. You get this even in Miriam's song in the Exodus after the, the Egyptians are drowned. They sing, the Lord reigns. He's on his throne. The Lord is king. And you get that through the Psalms. God reigns. God is on his throne. But the Jewish people began to look around and go, is God reigning? They began to say, where are the signs of his reign? If God reigns, he's not doing a very good job. Right, and so the second understanding of God's reign was this: that God's reign is coming. They would they would they would declare that God reigns, but then they would also declare that there's there's an aspect that His reign needs to come yet. And so it produced hope. It produced expectation. My uncle uh, Dave used to we used to sing this song in Calgary called. Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, Lord of all that ever shall be. And my uncle would often stop in the middle of the song. He'd he'd stop us and he'd say, Lord of heaven, uncontested. Lord of earth, that's still under challenge right now. And that's where the center of the conflict is. And so God's reign is coming. But nevertheless, even though it doesn't look like he reigns, there is an advancing of God's reign. And so initially for Israel, a lot of the hopes that they had about, a, about God's reign was in the form of a human king. That God was going to raise uh, a, a, a human king that would, be, uh, that would embody and bring about the, uh, the reign of God. And so that person would be a son of David. Remember a lot of the prophecies about the reign of God were related to a, a descendant of David. And, and, and this, this beautiful psalm from Isaiah, this prophecy says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. And he t- when I read that, I was reading that this morning, and I thought of Lynn Canyon. There's all kinds of those, aren't there? You see these stumps, and then there's a shoot coming out of the stumps. And, uh, and it says, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And the Jews are going, yeah, get those bad guys, Lord. And then he says this, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Or in another passage, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. A little child will play in a cobra's den. They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a promise. That's a promise for us. That's a promise for people that live on planet Earth. That's a hope. That's a longing that God says we can ask for and pray for. And the Jewish people did. It was a prophecy that came through Isaiah. And they they prayed for that and they longed for it. But what happened was after their captivity, you remember the promise of restoration into the land? There was this initial euphoria. Yay, we're back. We're going to get a king. We're going to break off the yoke of the, what was it at that time? I think the Persians, and then later on the Greek Empire. And there was all these intertestamental wars that happened where the Jewish people tried to take into their own hands the fulfillment of this promise, to to, to be free from their enemies. But basically by the time Jesus had come along, John the Baptist and Jesus, they had given up. They would basically said, there's no way this, most of them, there was this despair, this cynicism about this age. There was a cynicism that this age was dark, it was written off, that God had had basically not abandoned us, but he'd stepped back and that the role of the righteous would be to suffer now. And just wait for God to, to break in from outside, that there would be this apocalyptic day of the Lord where God will come. And he'll, he'll wipe out our enemies. He'll melt them. He'll blow them away. And he'll establish the Jewish king on the Mount of Jerusalem. And then the earth will be well again. They'd given up on this idea of, of a human king coming. In, and that it would have to be a, an outside intervention uh, of, of God. And, uh, and so there was almost like 400 years uh, of just, just despair. Uh, between those prophetic voices of Malachi and, and John the Baptist in the New Testament. And of course, it's not that God was absent there. We know he wasn't. Just like he wasn't absent in the Dark Ages or any other time we think he wasn't doing much. He was. But it was just this worldview of cynicism that we can get into, can't we? When, when it's dark and when it seems like everybody, all they care about is their, their toys and their pleasures and they don't care about God. We can get cynical and, and God says, don't do that. I'm at work. I'm moving by my spirit, and we can. We, the, Jesus said, "My Father is always working," and I want to challenge us with that today. So let's look at the kingdom in the context of this story. Um, remember, we talked about last week that every story has four elements. There's the idyllic beginning when everything's nice, all is beautiful, right? And then there's a crisis that comes, and. Uh, and then you have a struggle that occurs, and, and a lot of the story, a lot of the plot, is around that struggle, isn't it? And then finally a triumph. I mean, I like happy endings, don't you? So um, unless it's not a happy ending, but generally that's the way it goes. And so we see the the story, our story, the story we are in, is similar. So creation is that beginning, uh, idyllic beginning where all was well, and God would come down and commune with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then that terrible cataclysmic event of the fall where God cried out, Adam, where are you? And they were banished from the garden and, and paradise in that place of communion with God. And then we have the conflict that occurs where, where God calls Abraham and, and raises up a people and the temple becomes kind of this meeting place. The tabernacle in the temple of the Old Testament becomes this meeting place between heaven and earth for a season. And then the prophets prophesied that there will be this glory of a greater temple it's going to be incredible it's going to be the glory of the temple ladder is going to be way greater than the temple of solomon and the temple of the tabernacle and and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and then herod tried to fulfill it by building a temple but all of a sudden there's a little jewish guy walking around israel saying destroy this temple and in three days i'll raise it up and the glory of that latter temple was greater than any temple the meeting place of heaven and earth right encounter Jesus, live the story, right? That's the temple. You got goosebumps? I do. <laughs> so here we go. Um, not that goosebumps or anything, it's kind of cold in here, so there you go. Um, so what happened out of this is there emerged this view of two ages. So first of all, there was a view that as a, as a result of the fall that we're in this this age, and that at the day of the Lord, there would be the coming age. There would be this cataclysmic event again, where God would come. And this age was characterized by sin, death, mortality, suffering, weakness, injustice. Have a nice day in this age, right? And the coming age would be characterized by goodness and resurrection, healing, justice, and peace. And so this this two-age view, just go to the next slide there, we have this, this present age where evil reigns. Evil is in control. Deal with it. Demonic activity is in control. No Holy Spirit. Death. You know, Danny, just pray for Danny. He just had to go back to to Kitimat. And this happens in so many First Nations communities. Just this rash of deaths. Suicide, accidents, drug overdoses, alcohol. And uh, it's just been so rampant that they've, they've talked him into going back and just, they don't have a pastor. And just filling in for a season is to walk people through their grief. So pray the Kaisla people of Kitimat. And then the coming age, uh, or sorry, I I forgot my list, promise. It was an age of promise. So it's not hopeless, but it was was all projected to future. Oppression uh, by our enemies and injustice. And the coming age was, would be characterized by an overthrow of Satan and evil, where God's king would raise, it would reign, and it would be an era of the Holy Spirit. Remember Joel's prophecy, "I will pour out my spirit at the day of the Lord on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. It will be an era when the resurrection will occur, where it'll be a time of fulfillment of justice, of peace, where people can know God and walk with Him and they won't have this craving and hunger that they're always filling with addictions. There will be community. It'll be God's dream. That's God's dream for our planet. And so this day of the Lord, they saw it as a fixed age, as two days. So you can imagine the fever pitch when Jesus and John began to make this kingdom announcement. John the Baptist, this crazy prophet, dressed so eccentrically, began to call out for people to repent because he said the day of the Lord is near. He began to say it's, it's, it's coming, it's close, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus comes along and says... I mean, he read that sleepy little scripture in Isaiah 61 that they've been reading for, for, ever, for years in their little lexicon le, or, or, or a lectionary uh, 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 of, of the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And they all went, yes, yes, one day. And then he's, he looks at them and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Whoa. So expectations rose to this fever pitch when John and Jesus began to preach. But immediately they both say there's a need for metanoia. The word metanoia is the word we translate repent, which means to you if, if you're going to get this kingdom, you're going to need to change your mind. You're going to need to change your way of thinking. Otherwise you'll miss it. And John the Baptist, he preached... This really got them going. He said that being Jewish was no longer an advantage. Don't say that you're Jewish because God is able to take this, this rock and turn it into a son of Abraham. That would have been incredibly offensive to the Jewish mindset of that day because they, they saw themselves as the people of God. And he's saying, no, you need your mind changed. Don't say you're Jewish don't say that's just going to get you in. It's blessed to be a Jew, but that's not going to get you in. God requires personal response to this message to change your way of thinking, to respond to the kingdom message like the prostitutes and the tax collectors did in our reading a little bit earlier. And to add insult to injury, John got thrown in jail. <laughs> the kingdom's here. Go to jail. Sounds like some perverted version of Monopoly. So Jesus comes along and he announces the kingdom is here. And, he, and they're going, yeah, this, this looks like that. Because Isaiah said when, the, when this king arrives, he will raise the dead. He will make the lame to walk. The blind will see. And when John one time was a little bit disillusioned sitting there in jail while Jesus was having his heyday and his revivals, he sent a message to Jesus and said, are you the coming one? Or are we looking for somebody else? Uh, hello i mean he didn't have text messages or facebook so he had to send a messenger to jesus and remind him that he's sitting there in jail right and that is one of the temptations about the way the kingdom comes is the temptation of disappointment because sometimes our own agendas are subject to god's agenda and god's timing and and uh, john said jesus are you the one or are we looking for somebody else and so there was, there was healing, there was resurrection. Jesus fed 5,000. Remember that time when he fed them? They, they almost forced him to become the king. He had to run away. Because their idea of, of a king was different than God's idea of a king. And when he didn't rescue John, he began to preach to love our enemies. The Romans were still around for crying out loud. He wasn't doing much about the Romans. In fact, he didn't seem to mind them too much. In fact, he, be, he told them to forgive them, to love your enemies, to do good to those that hate you. And then he hung out with all the wrong people. He was having, and, and by the way, I only found this out yesterday, but when Jesus partied with, with Zacchaeus, and with Matthew and his friends and the prostitutes and the tax collectors what was really offensive to the Jewish people was not just that he ate with them that was bad enough but the actual greek language of when jesus ate with them was feast and see with jewish people normally when they ate they would sit at a table and eat like we do but when you had a feast they would recline and they would put their you know put their elbow on one and they'd put their feet out that way and it was like it was like uh, you know, almost uh, just intimate. It was such an intimate action. It was, a, it, was an, it was a statement of honor, and that's how Jesus feasted with the sinners. And that really got the Pharisees upset. You're delaying the promises of God. You're going to bring judgment on our nation because of all your interaction with these sinners. So when he was criticized, he says, well, He's told a little parable. It's not the sick, the well that need a physician. It's the sick who need a doctor. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And in case you've missed it, there was a lot of irony in that statement. Okay? <laughs> you know, he, 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 he's saying, if, if you're a sinner, that's who I've come for. Nod, nod, wink, wink, right? That's, there's a little bit of that going on. In other words, the issue is the need for rescue was the mindset that had to change in a person. Not, I'm good. I've I've served faithfully for years. I pray. I fast. I go to church. Or I do all the right things. No, the mindset is I need rescue. Rescue. I need God to help me. I am like that tax collector who couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven and said, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There was a need for a change of mind in this upside-down kingdom. And it reminds me, first time I took Samuel, my grandson, to Metrotown Mall. How many have ever been to Metrotown Temple? I mean, Metrotown <laughs> Mall. It, it's a temple, isn't it? It's just a... It's just this temple to materialism and greed. I mean, I go there sometimes, but, and worship. I mean, shop. But one time, we're walking through MetroTown, and everybody's so cool and so suave, and he was about two years old. He had just come from a visit from Switzerland at the time. And I, I think it might have been, because, you know, I hadn't seen him for a year the last time he was one year old, and we'd given him his first birthday cake, and that looked like an explosion in a bakery after he was done there. And then when we, when we got to Metrotown, everybody's walking, the fashion is so high, you know. And, and uh, so we, we bought him an ice cream cone, and it was beautiful because I gave him his chocolate ice cream cone, and he took that thing, and he grabbed it by the top, <laughs> and he started eating it from the bottom, just like that. And I mean, ice cream everywhere. I mean, it was beautiful. All over his face, his clothes, all over his buggy. We're going through Town. I could just feel the demons screaming <laughs> of, of pride and suave and cool. They were just so offended. It was beautiful. I don't know why I tell that story. It just reminds me of what happens when the kingdom confronts our culture. When the kingdom, con- there is that kind of, clash that goes on so the point is is the acknowledgement that we are lost this is offensive to our mindset that we are prisoners of an enemy that is too powerful for us and the enemy is not the Romans or the Muslims or ISIS it's far more subtle and sinister than that and he has a powerful ally in all of us called our sin and a lot of Jesus ministry was conflict In Matthew chapter 12, after he cast out a demon, the Pharisees accused him of doing it by the power of the devil. And he said, if I by the spirit of God drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. It was very important for Jesus to understand and to help us understand that the kingdom of God has to do with conflict. It has to do with a clash with unseen powers that he acknowledged if the temptation were in charge of the world. Satan took Jesus, member, and showed him all the powers of the world. And he said, all this I will give to you if you bow down to me. Jesus didn't argue with him, did he? Because when we fell, we gave authority of the earth to Satan. So there is this sense that the earth is in the power of the evil one. There is that sense, this unseen enemy. And that evil one has an ally in you and I. A lot of work to do. One of the illustrations I like to use is brain surgery. When someone has a tumor in their brain, the doctors have this this tension on one hand wanting to destroy this thing in the person's brain that is going to kill them, but on the other hand, they don't want to kill the person. And that describes the rescue operation that God is doing with the way his kingdom is advancing. It's why he's chosen to do it this way. So the real enemy in the conflict is not the Romans or ISIS or the Muslims or whoever we may think, the terrorists or whoever. The enemy is, is us and amongst us and unseen principalities and powers. Every one of you has a demonic assignment. You were given an angel when you were born of God, but you're also given a demon. And that demon is, a, is, is like a tailor. When you go to a tailor shop and he measures you for a suit, he will take your measurements and he'll know exactly your your size, your leg, your your arm, your shoulder, and and Satan sizes you up and, and comes up with tailor-made plans to defeat you and discourage you. We're in a war. I'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Jesus said that when, if you break into a, a strong person's house, a strong man's house, you and you you want to go off with his possessions? You must first tie the strong man up. That's quite. That sounds kind of like violent language, doesn't it? And I kind of like to uh, uh, liken it to a squatter. Jesus saying the enemy's a squatter, and when he came, he came with invasion in mind to remove a squatter, a squatter of you, a squatter of me, a squatter of our planet. Then he plunders his house and carries off his possessions. Human lives are God's treasure. Human lives are God's possession. That's why he went to all the trouble he did. That's why he went to the cross. So John Wimber was really influenced by this thinking of the kingdom that came in an already not yet way. The invasion of the present by the future and John Wimber was influenced by a fellow by the name of George Eldon Ladd and who also himself was influenced by Oscar Coleman, who saw World War II. And what happened in World War II is kind of a helpful metaphor for the, uh, this now but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. So first of all, you have the present age, again, where evil reigns, demonic activity, no Holy Spirit, death, promise, oppression, and justice. Then you had a view of the coming age that was going to come. The, the, uh, the day of the Lord would mark that. Where there was the overthrow of Satan and evil. Where God's king would reign. It was the era of the Holy Spirit. Of resurrection, of fulfillment, of justice, of peace. But when Jesus came, the date changed. Did you see that? Can, can you go back and do that again? I'm so proud of this. Breaking in. Now what you have, I'll tell you, you, I'm going to catch up to wait in a hundred years, I'll tell you. So so what you have there is you have a breaking in where the date, the day of the Lord moves. Now, um, in other words, the future invaded the present. For example, what was one of the aspects of the coming age was resurrection. What happened at the resurrection of Christ? The coming age invaded the present age. What happens when every sick person is healed, when every every demon is cast out, when people are delivered? The future invades the present. And so uh, Oscar Coleman, a German theologian, was reflecting on the Second World War. And uh, most of us are not familiar with the date of... V-E Day, which was the day the war ended. Most of us are more familiar with what? D-Day. D-Day was June 6, 1944, was it? Where the largest armada that that had ever invaded, any invasion had ever been done, occurred when the Allies together crossed the English Channel. And you've seen it through Saving Private Ryan and other movies, the incredible loss of life, the incredible sacrifice. It was a bloody, horrible battle. But most people, historians, look back to that day as the day the war was won. Yeah. That the, the, it took another year. It was about, about a year later, wasn't it, when uh, V.E. Day was declared, when the Germans surrendered. And two years? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it was a while. And there was more loss of life on both sides, I should say, after D Day than it occurred in all the war before. More blood, more conflict. And Oscar Coleman later was reflecting on this, and he realized that D Day was in the in the kingdom of God, is when Jesus on the cross cried out, It is finished. And he gave up his life for us. And at that moment, God in heaven put a flag in the ground. And he said, this planet belongs to me. The invasion has begun. And so what has followed up has been this, as it were, they call it the mopping up operation. But we say it, obviously, with with the caveat that it was bloody, that it was costly, and there's been more martyrs in the 20th century than all the church age up to the 20th century. There's, there's people suffering for Christ now. We know, we've seen it just in the news. We're praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. So the war continues, but brothers and sisters, D-Day has occurred. The battle is won. So, in, cl- in closing, the conclusion is: We are people of the kingdom of God in the vineyard who partner with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this: Commitment to the theology and practice of the kingdom of God is the most fundamental core value in the vineyard. When the vineyard talks about the kingdom, we are talking about the kingdom of God as a dynamic reality that is the future reign of God breaking into the presence, into the present through the life and ministry of Jesus. We've been commissioned to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, bearing witness to the already and the not yet of the kingdom in words and deeds. We're really good at words. I was talking to Terry ann about Haiti, and there's so much Christian activity in Haiti. But the problem is it's so much words. People need deeds. They need action. But we're afraid. Because what if it doesn't work? Right? And our pride gets in the way. This understanding of the kingdom of God is the central motif that gives structure and definition to all our theology. We view the kingdom of God as the overarching and integrating theme of the Bible. That it's about this, about the reign of God. It's the overarching theme. Yeah, there's a lot about love and all those things are important. But the reign of God. So why don't we, as a closing exercise, just read uh, another paragraph on two slides. Together, from our fusion document, encounter Jesus. Altogether, we exist and are sustained by an ongoing encounter with God, revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Through the life, death on a cross, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has been made known and has defeated not only the cosmic powers of evil, but also sin in us, and its consequence of death. This has opened the way for us to be reconciled to him and to one another through faith, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus announced that his own mission was to proclaim good news to the poor, comfort the brokenhearted, and bring freedom to the oppressed. How did he do this? He announced and demonstrated the good news that the kingdom of God had arrived. He told parables. He engaged in practical works of love and service. He healed the sick and cast out demons. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He embraced the outcast. His life demonstrated the relentless love of God, a love that reaches the most alienated parts of our lives. This love is transforming us. It is restoring us from our state of brokenness. It is calling us into eternal life, a journey of relationship with God that begins now and continues forever. In Jesus in the New Testament, eternal life was synonymous with life in the coming age. It was the same thing. And that coming age has invaded the present. And it's it's available to you and I. So in conclusion then, the kingdom of God is advancing because on earth but in an already not yet manner it's subtle it's the secret of the kingdom so much of jesus teaching in the gospels was the mystery the secret of the kingdom the leaven the 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 mustard seed the the uh the sower and the seed the mystery of the kingdom why why god why don't you just step out of heaven and go put up or shut up you know or enough is enough I mean, that's, I, we were listening to a comedian last night. He said, that's the most profound thing you've ever heard. Enough is enough. That's right. Enough is enough. It's the same thing. All right. The kingdom of God is advancing on earth, but in an already not yet manner. In order to rescue us from the cosmic powers of evil and their ally of sin in us. And our only appropriate response to this is to repent. Change our mind. And believe the good news. And the first aspect of, de- of repentance, well, you'll find it in the first step of the 12 step. My life is out of control. I need help. I can't do this. I need help. I need God. The only thing is, as Christians, we get into this problem where we think we're past that. We went through that door, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I've been in this over 30 years, and I find the more I walk in this way, the more helpless and dependent and weak I am. And Paul started out his ministry saying, I am the concerning the righteousness of the law, blameless as a Pharisee. What did he say at the end of his life in ministry from jail? I'm the chief of sinners. And there's just that, it's not where we're just kind of self-absorbed with our sin and our brokenness. It's where we recognize our need of grace, our need of God in a greater and greater way. Uh, we have John here, He's an Anglican, and he's from, from the eastern Canada. And our uh, our national directors in England, or that are going to be uh, speaking here in BC in in a, in a couple of weeks, just sat with uh, uh, Justin. Justin, um, I have his name here. Sorry, it's a, he's a new Archbishop. <laughs> yeah, Archbishop of Canterbury. Yeah, it, the name has just slipped my mind. <laughs> I <missed that> memo. <laughs> Justin Welby. Justin Welby. Justin Welby is the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he just met with the leaders of the Vineyard UK. God. And they asked him, they, they prayed and blessed each other, but they asked him, do you have any word for the Vineyard? Do you know what he said? It's just been haunting me ever since I heard this quote. It was about a month ago I heard about it. Do not, Vineyard, do not pull back on the Holy Spirit. Don't pull back. And you know what? When I meet with other denominational leaders, I hear the same thing. They say, Vineyard, we need you to not, because we live in a Western world where we always default to the not yet. Oh, we we go into this age, but there's a coming age that's invading, that's advancing, and we're to go for it. That's why I wanted Joanna to tell those stories. I love that about her. She goes for it. God's looking for people who go for it, even if you risk failure. So, would you join me in that? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to pull back on the Holy Spirit because we just can't do this without you. We just can't do this without you, Lord. Lord, you said, when you go, announce the kingdom of God is here. Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach good news to the poor, raise the dead. Father, we believe Help our unbelief. Would you make us willing, Lord, where we have lost our expectancy, where we've, we've out of fear of man and fear of a failure, we've, we've gotten lazy. And some of us have failed. We have done things where we, like Wimber, we just said, this is nuts. I'm not going to do this anymore. And like you said to Wimber, I hear you saying to us, do this or get out (laughs) come Holy Spirit come Lord
1: just want to I, I just hear the Holy Spirit talking about an open door that no man can shut particularly for our high schools and high school students I think tonight there's a new beginning, new youth group. Um, just feel a very strong desire in myself, and also uh, to have all of us pray. If you are in agreement with me, it says two or more agreeing as anything in the name of Jesus, it shall be done. For people that are involved with youth right now, and that would be Ann and uh, D- Davey. Are you still? You're still involved with youth. Davy is. I met him. Uh, I don't know a year ago, maybe in Surrey. He's He's working with the Surrey Vineyard. It's just a group of uh, church planters right now. And I I believe you're in some of the high schools in Surrey. Is that right, Davey? You're in uh, the Guilford. And you're doing some sports outreach, particularly. So um, if you feel like I just have a real heavy burden, I feel like we need to stand strong for open doors. Mason, maybe the Lord's going to do something. But I just feel like, Gordy, we should, I mean, you're kind of launching this whole new youth. But uh, pray for this open door. And maybe we can encourage some of our people that are involved with youth. And there's others that maybe God's going to call in, too. Like Wade, I'm not sure. But others that God is going to open the door for.
0: I'd like us to pray for Terri-Ann as well. I think Terri-Ann has said yes to taking on the leadership of our youth, which is awesome. And she's just got a natural natural. Uh, Holy Spirit gift there and uh, Eldona is offered to help and looking for some guys so uh, but uh, it's really exciting so I'd like to just invite you guys to come and John I just feel I don't want to put you in the spot but I feel the spirit of God on you man and uh, John's an Anglican and I feel just us just having come into this building it'd be wonderful to have an Anglican bless us as a as a as, a, as a, a new season here for us. Uh, just anything you're sensing?